Hello Balloon Artist Podcast Nation, Zivikivi here, and this is season 7, episode 12. We're almost at the end of the season, and I'm literally, when this goes live, I'm in Chicago at Twist and Shout, having lots of fun in the jam room, meeting people, students of the Balloon Artist College, friends from Balloon Family, potential new instructors that are going to teach soon in the Balloon Artist College. This is such an amazing place to be here with you guys. Uh, on your way to a gig and at the same time to be in Chicago. Uh, so I hope you enjoy today's episode with an artist from the UK that I, very, that I respect so much because of the way she combines all sorts of artistic uh, natures of hers and skills. And that is just wonderful. I hope you enjoy the interview with Vicky Ward Hibbins. Take your balloons to the next level as we delve deeper into what truly makes a professional balloon artist with your host, Zivi Kivi. Now, welcome to the Balloon Artist Podcast. Hello, Balloon Artist Podcast Nation. Zivi Kivi here, and today in Season 7, we are talking with Vicky Ward-Hibbins. Vicky Ward-Hibbins, you've been doing balloons for a couple of years, if I remember correctly. Is that right? Yes, just about. Just about two years. And you live in Norwich, England, which is in the east side of England. You have a seven-year-old girl and you even have your own podcast, which is related to actually to sewing, the Sewing Room podcast. So you are familiar with art in all sorts of ways. How are you, Vicky Ward-Hibbins? Hello. I'm fantastic this morning. Great. I am really excited talking with you, secret handshakes and all of that jazz. We've been spending some time together in learning balloon business and through some of our programs. But I wanted to talk with you about your journey, about how you perceive art and what you do with it. So maybe we'll start with the corniest questions, but I think in this season, it's the most important question. And that is the how did you start with balloons question? About two years ago, my daughter wanted for Christmas balloons. It was the only thing that she had on her Christmas list. She said, I want balloons. And luckily, Father Christmas had already been and bought some balloons for her. And luckily also, they were some decent modelling balloons. They weren't quite like some of the cheap kits that you get so the quality of the balloons was reasonably okay. And the pump was also quite a nice little pump that came with it. But at the time, she was only four, coming up to five. And unfortunately, she was unable to actually blow the balloons up herself or even do any of the modelling with it. So having opened her presents on Christmas Day and been very excited that she finally got the balloons that she'd been asking for. I don't think she was thinking of modelling balloons. I think she perhaps had more regular balloons in mind, as I don't think she'd even really seen much modelling balloons up until that point. So she was excited and we had a quick look at the instructions to decide which things she wanted me to make first. And obviously the balloon dog was the favourite on the list. So my first balloon model was a dog like everybody else seems to make. It was a balloon dog. And I made that and thought, oh, that wasn't too bad. So had a little look at the other instructions and made some rabbits for her. By this point, she'd gone off and was busy playing with other toys and much more exciting things that she'd also got in her sack and other presents. And I thought, oh, I quite like this. I'm enjoying making balloons. 
And so, of course, went on to YouTube and discovered this whole, oh my goodness me, I had no idea this world of balloons even existed up until this point and was just blown away by the complexity that I was looking at, the amazing ways that it was used as an art form, things that at that point I couldn't imagine ever being able to create, watching some of these videos and thinking, no, even slow down, even pausing every few seconds, I still could have no idea how I would possibly ever do that. And yet on this journey, suddenly some of those videos you look back now and go, oh, I could actually make that. Back then I couldn't. I can actually watch videos now at full speed and actually twist along with them rather than having to keep pausing and stopping every few seconds. So that was really the, the very, very beginning. And many models were made with her kit. And that kind of opened the doors really to me, then exploring balloons much further. And as you can see, decided that it was something that I loved so much I had to continue with it. And back then, when you were looking at the videos on YouTube, was that mainly on twisting or also already on decoration as well? No, at that point, it was just twisting. I had these twisting balloons. I had these two 60s that I wanted to use. And, and predominantly, it was like one balloon things. And even then, some of those were way beyond what I was capable of at that point. But yeah, it was, it was just twisting then. And obviously, as I continued, I started seeing that there were other types of things you could do with balloons. And her party is in February for her birthday. So again, started thinking what sort of things I could do for her birthday and looking further, further afield, really, as far as balloons in general and discovered that I love doing decor as well. So tell me about the going into decor mode. When was that and how did that happen? really sure exactly when. I think what happened was that I ended up discovering that there were also Facebook groups that could be joined. Initially, this was something that I did in my, at home on my own, which I don't know, sounds a bit dodgy perhaps, but discovered that there was a whole world where you could connect with people more so than just writing a comment at the bottom of a YouTube video. There were groups that I could join and discovered that also there was decor I'm not sure when I discovered the Balloon Artists Guild, but also found this is an organization in England that Graham organizes and they have balloon care and share days to do with Qualitex and you can go and learn twisting at that. So I went to my first one of those in the summer of, actually no, it was about April 2017. And also they were doing some decor at that relating them two balloons. It was a, it's a twisting event. So it's mainly twisters that go and you learn lots of different twisting at those different courses and events that he puts on. And they had some decor at that as well. So I'd started realizing that both in the Facebook groups and by going to that, that the world of balloons was much bigger than just twisting. And I'd also then discovered that there was the QBN and the different courses that Qualitex does. And early on, I tried to get on a beginning balloon course with Qualitex and tried to find the nearest one to me, which was London Direction. And unfortunately, I was the only person who was booked on, so it got cancelled. So I never got to do that course. And by now, I'm at the point of deciding not to bother because I've just learned everything in other directions and went to a different Qualitex course that they were running, which kind of was jumping in at the deep end and doing other things, line art with 160s and things like that. So very different to the, the introductory course that I was looking for. 
it got me going in different directions, different courses, and kind of jumping in with both the twisting side and the decor side. And really, I wouldn't say that I belong in one camp or the other. I probably still have one foot in each. Cool. Tell me a little bit about the other type of artist, art or crafts that you are involved in and if there's any mix between balloons and the rest of the things you do. Oh my goodness. I've always loved making things. Even from a really young age, I had oil pastels, paints, crafting materials. I made all my own Christmas cards from a child. In fact, I still make my own Christmas cards. So paper crafting and painting and those sort of things have always been a big part of my life. My dancing teacher back from when I was younger still has all the Christmas cards that I made her throughout my childhood. So she has a whole record and my mum's still friends with her. So we still make Christmas cards for her each year. So she's probably got quite a stack of those. So been involved with those sorts of things. Any craft really that I've come across, crochet, loom knitting more recently, lace making, painting, did some color graphs and printing courses. My sister went to art college, so she was always the one that was considered more art-driven and more arty, whereas I was the one that in the family was considered more crafty and would be making things, sewing, making clothes for my daughter. When I was really little, I used to make clothes for my dolls. My grandfather taught me to sew with a Victorian handheld sewing machine when I was about four. He had the opinion that if I sewed through my finger, I'd stop turning the handle. So he let me loose with scissors and fabric and things, and I was making dolls' clothes. So yes, really lots of different crafts. I discovered scrapbooking after living in America in 2002. So when I came back to England, I started up as a creative memories consultant. They don't exist in the UK anymore, but I taught scrapbooking lessons to adults for many years. Finally finished that as the kind of trend is dimming and I did my last few workshops a year or so ago. But there's been a lot of crossover I'm finding more as I get more involved in the decor side of things. For example, I've had a silhouette cameo for many years because I was using it for scrapbooking and had die cutters prior to that, electric die cutters, and I have die cutters that use metal dies. So I'm now able to cut my own confetti in whatever shapes I wanted. When someone wants star confetti to go inside a bubble balloon, I have the dies, I have the machine to do that and can do that with tissue paper. So all the craft supplies that I had collected for scrapbooking and other crafts, I'm suddenly finding that I'm able to use with my balloons and certain skills I've learned in one direction, I'm able to use in another. Oh man, like I really feel uh, jealous right now because... When I fly to the States for conventions and for visiting my family, I always go to Michael's for... Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, and I, like, I look at the things from the balloon perspective of what can I shove into a balloon or what can I use to decorate a balloon, like bows and stuff like that. And I always uh, buy stickers with glittery, shiny things on top and uh, later on stuck inside my balloon bag. But your studio, we cannot see it in the podcast, obviously, but I can see it right now, is like a Michael's store. It looks just, yeah. <laughs> just like that and very organized and uh, kudos on that. And I can see how having that experience, but not just the experience 
or the skill or the tools, but the passion and the vision of how you can make something pretty. I think that is uh, something that is helping you tremendously and has the potential to help you produce stuff that are very original and very refreshing even. I have a question about your daughter, Bryony. Is she into balloons at all? Oh, yes. She has her own kit with balloons that I've had to buy specially for her. She has her own pump only because that tries to stop her from stealing everything out of my supplies. Every time that I'm making something, she is wanting to come and make as well. So I tell her that she has to use her balloons rather than using mine. And that way it, it stops her from, she would kind of take everything and anything. It's the same with all my craft supplies. So she has her own, her own set of things that she knows that she can use whenever she wants to. She would love to be able to come with me when I go out doing gigs. When I am twisting, I am Bishy B. My, I'm Bishy Balloons, but my twisting name is Bishy B. And she's already decided that she's Bishy Butterfly. Oh. So I can't see it won't be too long before when her skills increase and things that she'll be coming alongside me, I am sure. She occasionally comes when I go and collect equipment. She came with me on New Year's Day when I had some column stands that I needed to get. And she loves helping with the business and helping to do things. Do you allow her to saw? When you were a kid, you were sawing by yourself and using scissors and, and the sawing machine. Does she do any of those things as well? Yes, she uses my electric sewing machine, my very fancy one that I can turn the speed down so I can turn it right down low. And for my mother's 70th birthday last year, we made a quilt together. Wow. Wow, that's really fun. I can definitely relate. My wife, she loves sewing and she creates clothes for our kids. And this is really a pretty practical and uh, satisfying skill as well. And you seem to be pretty relaxed about all of your artistic experience, like doing all of those things, being crafty. is also an activity that is very fun for you. Just go deep into this activity and it's a calming thing. What do you think about that? Oh, definitely. I've always used crafting and creating as one of the ways of de-stressing, of connecting back with myself, if you like. In fact, it's one of the things that if I can't do, I find myself getting antsy and I need to use my hands to, to make something, to create something out of nothing. I think that it's an urge that everybody has and people experience it in different ways. Some people love to cook and take raw ingredients and create something. Other people garden and create something again, grow something. And I do think it's something that's innate in all of us, this need to create something new that wasn't there beforehand, whether it's with words or physically. And I think people who haven't found that passion and that area and what they can do to fulfill that, always missing something in their life. So it's something that that throughout my life has been very important. And at times I've had to find a way of being creative unexpectedly. I sang with a band in America for a year and was touring. I went to 35 states in the year. We did a lot of miles, did a lot of gigs. And obviously everything we took had to fit into the trailer with the instruments and our luggage and the we had a 15-seat passenger van. 
and I started carrying around pieces of fabric. And again, I made quilts while I was traveling because so many Americans that I stayed with had sewing machines. And I had my sketchbook and started drawing again. So it had to be something that I could do that traveled with me. I can't go away for a weekend and not take something that I could be doing to make with. <laughs> Very important part of my life. Cool. So I wonder these days, do you have any preference in comparison, like uh, twisting versus decorating? No, I really like both. And I like being able to combine both. So if I'm doing, for example, balloons for a baby shower, I would like to put twisting elements on it rather than just buying a balloon, a foil balloon that relates to babies or that kind of event. I'd much rather twist something. So the one that I did recently, I was able to twist a pair of twins to go on the top of the column as the lady was having, having twins and also match the colors of the balloon to the ethnicity of the babies which is not something that you can always do when you are buying a foil balloon off the shelf, for example. For sure. Tell us a little bit about your um, decision to have a podcast, the Sewing Room podcast. What made you go there and what was the experience like? At the time, I was making clothes for my daughter. She was, she was very little, so decided designing some patterns, which I do still have for sale on my Etsy Bishy Barnababe shop. And that just keeps ticking over. So as part of that, I was enjoying making a variety of different clothes and decided I wanted to share that experience and do a podcast for it. I haven't recorded many recently. I don't seem to have the time to devote to sewing in the way that I did. And so I haven't done so many of those more recently. But at the time, I really enjoyed sharing the experience of my sewing with others like-minded and Also, I love talking. I'm a definitely an extrovert. And at the time, my daughter was much smaller, so didn't have the conversational skills and things. So actually, in many ways, it was like being able to just sit down and have a conversation with myself, even though there was no one else there, just being able to share the things that I was passionate about with my sewing and talk for a while and people listen to it, which was great. Did you also have uh, like form... Uh, relationships with some of the listeners? Did they ever uh, contact you? Yeah, a little bit. There was, it was more through people who were testing my patterns that I got to know some of those and some other pattern designers around the world as well, which was really nice. Cool. I remember when I first saw about your podcast and you shared this information with me, it was really fascinating to see how these days in the world you can connect with people and you can. Take just even a hobby and make it into something that other people all over the world are affected by it and have the opportunity to experience your passion and experience who you are in this world. So I really think that's a, a valuable thing to do, to contribute and to not just enjoy the craft by itself, which is fine. It's definitely good enough, but also to be a part of the discussion and create designs and so on. How often do you feel with balloons that you are creating something which is brand new? I don't know. Not very often, perhaps. Although, I, I mean, in many ways, I don't know whether anybody ever always creates something completely brand new. You can take a piece from here and a piece from there and things like that. When I do birthday parties and we'll go and do twisting at them, which was one of the things that I really enjoy, 
being able to twist four children right in front of them, see their reaction, which is very different than just delivering a, a decor piece that you might not see their reaction at all, or somebody comes to the house and collects it and you never get to see what they really think of it. So I love doing that. And I will take along a larger piece that I have twisted in advance for the child and will try and find out what things they're interested in. And when I'm creating those, I enjoy looking at what other people have done, looking at the original source, and then kind of combining a bit of everything. So I wouldn't say that I'm creating something brand new, but I know that what I've created at the end of it is different to what anybody else has done. It's not just a copy like I will do for some of the designs that I use when I'm twisting using my menu, then those are things that I have gleaned and are very thankful to those people on YouTube who are creating that content that I'm then using. And it's much quicker for me. But in this case, I quite enjoy the going back and doing it from scratch and thinking about how I want to make something. And I think in general, in art, you never invent something new, like if you're writing a book, You're using words that were used somewhere else. And if you're making balloons, you're basically building on top of specific uh, skills and techniques. And there's a finite, relatively small even, amount of techniques possible. And even though this number of techniques grow, it doesn't grow very fast. It grows pretty slow. So you can pretty much get the curriculum, like the actual the, the alphabet of balloons and learn that. And then uh, what you do with it, Can be affected and influenced by other people's works. However, even just changing small things can create like a bishi. So when you look at something and you say, okay, Vicky did that. What would you say would be some of the characteristics if we look at your work when you look at it and you can say, this is a Vicky World Hibbins design? I think that's really hard. I've always wondered what makes any of my artwork uniquely mine. It's very hard when you are yourself looking at something. You can't see the threads, I don't think, that run across as easily as an outsider can when they look at something. One of the things that, that I like to do is if I am doing decor, for example, is I like to add on extra things and not just have the bog standard column or whatever. I like to add on some additional things. But whether that makes it uniquely mine that somebody would recognize that as a style, I don't know. I don't know whether I've been doing it long enough yet to have built up a big enough body of work, as they say in the art world, to be able to make those kind of connections across things. I don't know is the answer, I guess. Well, I definitely challenge you to send me a few pictures of a few things that you're proud of. We'll put that into the balloonartistpodcast.com website, also link to your site uh, as well so that uh, people can go and see a few of your things and even listen to your podcast. And we'll wait a few more months, like six to 12 months, <laughs> and challenge you to share a new updated picture and potentially we'll see the thread. I think specifically for you, unlike the average case of a balloon artist that is two years into the game, I think specifically for you, you do have an artistic background and that must show itself in all sorts of ways. And so I'm actually, I think it's something that probably can be seen. And I respect the modesty. And in general, any balloon artist, any artist in general, I feel should have that level of being humble and caring about the art and understanding that if you 
ever achieved beauty. That is because you were standing on the shoulders of giants before you and that's what made it possible. Can you give us an example of specific things that you add to the balloons? You mentioned using the camel silhouette in order to cut confetti paper. What else are you putting into a balloon where, that makes you feel like, wow, I never thought about adding that, but it works? Something that I added that I'm not sure whether it works in that it was what the customer wanted. And it was a friend of mine that used to come to my scrapbooking group who contacted me to make a balloon for her head teacher. She's a classroom assistant. And the reason she wanted one was that she, that he hates balloons and hates tomatoes. So she wanted to know if I could do something with that. She wanted something that was tomato themed and balloons. So I took a deco balloon and filled it with tomato balloons. Little tiny five inch that I ended up putting inside and obviously inflating. But out of the craft foam, that thin foam that you get in for children's crafting, I got some green and I cut out spiky kind of unusual star shapes that would look like the green top of a tomato, cut a little slit in it, managed to feed that into the bubble balloon as well and attach the two together inside. So I had a bubble balloon filled with tomatoes, well, several tomatoes sitting at the bottom. That's the most unusual thing that I think I've put in a bubble and I've decided that I don't plan on doing that again. It was very fiddly and time consuming and luckily it was for a friend. So I didn't mind the fact quite so much that I had way undercharged based on how much time it would take. So that's one of the most unusual things that's gone inside one of the balloons. Obviously, using the cameo to decorate the outside, adding things onto underneath. I like sparkly things, particularly depending upon the event. So adding sprigs and different things that I get from the wholesale florists is really good fun. Making paper flowers using the dyes that I have adding glitter, all sorts of things. I'm just looking around my craft room to, to think of some of the different things. I've got ribbons and tulle, and I like adding texture and sparkle. I also really like adding lights. Mm -hmm. So a lovely string of LED lights. If possible, I kind of try and get people to add lights to their designs. I just think it adds another dimension that it looks different at nighttime than during the daytime. Do you use helium? Yes, I have helium. So I do use helium as well. It's a little bit of a, of a shame where the price is going up again and again. Yes, mm -hmm. I know. A bit of a worry. It's, it's the unpredictability that makes it difficult, both in terms of supply and price. And you think, I have my tank at the moment, but when I run out, what am I going to be paying? And it's hard to be able to look ahead and make decisions because of that unpredictability. Tell me a little bit about some of your heroes on the balloon arena, people that you learn from or that you remember and cherish? Obviously, I've got my favorites that I follow on YouTube, which were some of the ones that, that got me started right in the very beginning. People like Holly George and Corey Williams were channels that I definitely really appreciate at the beginning and still appreciate because they're still putting out, I mean, Holly puts out fantastic designs regularly on their ones that I can use in my line work and things like that. 
the JLo magic, I'm trying to think whether I'm going to pronounce his name correctly or completely massacre it, Juan Gonzalez? Yeah, that sounds... Okay. (laughs) It's terrible when you see names written down and you've never heard them pronounced and you have a go at them. I mean, I love his different designs. His baby is the one that I used in a larger size and upscaled it on top of the columns for the baby shower I mentioned recently. In real life, I was really lucky on the first training that I went to with Qualitex to be paired up with Natalie Sanders and I Saunders, sorry, Natalie. And I really love the things that she creates. She's created some amazing things like the giant unicorn with all the small rounds that people every so often post in the Facebook groups asking who did this this work. And I've been lucky enough to do some of her training with her and worked with her and I, I love her work. And then as far as twisting goes, people like Rob Driscoll, seeing lots of his designs I saw when I was on Pinterest. And then he regularly goes to the Balloon Artist Guild twisting event. So again, have got to meet with him in real life and work with him. And he's amazing the way he will just sit. You'll go out for a meal afterwards and he takes his balloons with him. And he definitely has the creative urge to be making all the time. And his media is balloons. And the things that he can just create out of his head, the way he sees it, I'm still in awe and would love one day to be able to twist as well as he does. And specifically with Rob Driscoll, he also has this vision of not just a piece, which is, you know, one balloon art piece, but also about he looks at it as a collection. And then he will do like an entire collection of stories from the myth, like the mythology or stories from different places all over the world. And like his balloons actually has a story that each piece tells a story by itself, but also as a whole, it creates a collection. And that is something that is very artistic, I think. Yes, he is definitely a balloon artist in the true sense of the word. Yeah, I totally agree. Okay, all of those people are definitely worthy for mentioning for sure and great heroes. I respect that. Anyone in the deco world that are... that you've been following? Not so much, really. I mean, as I said, I mentioned Natalie, but generally in the decor world, I will just tend to be either on Pinterest or Google a particular thing that I'm interested in. Like at the moment, I've been looking at Valentine balloons, just getting a bit more inspiration of designs that I can put forward for that. But again, I think because often when you've seen something in the, the decor world, particularly in the more basic decor world, Perhaps not so much when you get into some of these amazing builds that you see are being done at conventions and things like that. But some of the more basic decor, you can see it and deconstruct it in your head. Whereas twisting, often until you are shown how something is put together, it can be very hard to work it out for yourself, which is why I think it's more that I just look at individual pieces rather than following an individual. Whereas with the twisting, it's the individual and the way that they twist and construct it that I need to know and understand more so than in the decor world. I think that is very precise, actually. I totally relate to that. Can you tell us a little bit about your experience with Balloon Artist College or with the podcast? Was that something that was valuable for you? What was the story behind that? I joined the Balloon Artist College and found that really, really helpful. In fact, it would still be helpful. I, there's just various other reasons at the moment why I can't continue with it, unfortunately. But I did find really, really useful the being part of that. 
both the challenges, being able to make things that I would then have photos of my, for my portfolio and challenging me to do things that I hadn't tried before was fantastic. Connecting with other people through that and forming relationships with balloon artists around the world is amazing. The being able to do the twist alongs, I'm trying to think of the proper name of it off the top of my head, where you're making like it's balloon jam. That's the word I couldn't think yeah. of. Doing balloon jams with other people regularly was great. And also all the fantastic courses that were that are available, not were, they are still available. So that pretty much anything that you want to know about and learn about, you've got access to all in one place. You're not having to go hunting for it, buying different courses from different places, forgetting what your login is for that course, forgetting you've even got that course because you bought it so long ago and just having everything together that whenever you want to access, you know where to go and there it is ready and waiting for you was really helpful. And uh, I remember back in challenge one of Balloon Artist College with the deliverables, you had a very clever idea marketing-wise of what to do with the balloons that you're making Can you remind us the story about that? I'd created all these amazing things. And at that stage, I didn't, well, I still don't have a shop, but didn't think that if I just posted them to try and sell them, I was going to get very far. So I decided instead that I would create a balloon appreciation month and give my balloons to different businesses and people that I appreciated for different reasons. In many ways, it was often a case of going, okay, I have this balloon, the great balloon that had the wine bottle on it. Now, who can I think that I ought to give this to? And my parents had always bought wines from a particular local company, so took the balloon to them as part of Balloon Appreciation Month. So it was more than thinking, oh, I have this company that I'd like to thank. It worked the opposite way around. I've got these balloons. Now, how could I go about thanking somebody that these balloons relate to. Another thing that I did with it where with the baby designs is we have several baby shops in the area. So I did a poll on my Facebook page asking people to decide which baby shop they had been particularly appreciative to and getting them to vote and to share it with other people so that their friends who had babies and Or slightly older children but could remember what it was still like when they had small babies so as a result I went to two different local shops to take them as they were the ones that were voted for by the the general public so to speak I really love this idea I remember mentioning it before but it's worth mentioning again the balloon appreciation month as a concept it's such a powerful story that allows you to just talk to With any business again and again and again, and to tell them, you know, hey, it's the balloon appreciation month this this time of the year. I want to appreciate all that you do as a business, and I'm a business too. Here's a balloon for you. And I think that's really smart and allows you to network and allows you to connect with people. Did you get anything out of this marketing activity? Not necessarily that I can pinpoint as such, but one of the really great things that I got were photos of my balloons in a business location at a point in my business career where those companies had not bought my balloons. But at the same time, when I post those balloons, 
people can see that I am involved with businesses and things rather than just the photos being taken at home in my front room. And then you use those photos on your social media and on your website. Yes. So as again, it then encourages other businesses that they can see that you deal with businesses and you are a professional. By the way, how do you take photos of what you do? I have a DSLR, really decent camera from going way back. Photography, obviously, another art, med- art form is something that I've always been interested in. So I am lucky enough to have a really, really decent camera that I use where possible. I will also take photos with my iPhone when I need to. Occasionally, I'll do a job and timing is getting short for whatever reason. And at the end of the day, I need to just take quick photos before I leave in order to have photos. And my feeling is that a photo that is not perfect is better than no photo at all. Again, going back to the scrapbooking days when you would take photos of events and say, you've got a photo and a record of that. And again, I've been used to using Photoshop for years. So can usually even pull a not so good photo back and make it okay. Tell us, uh, just for the curiosity, what camera do you use? I have a Nikon and off the top of my head, I can't remember exactly which one it is because I've had it a couple of years now, but I have a decent 35mm lens that works really well in low light and a 50mm lens as well as the lens that came with the camera. So I've also invested in some good lenses. And also when I was taking photos of the things that I sewed when I was doing my patterns, I also have got a backdrop and lights and things to create in a studio at home. Although to be honest, I get very lazy and don't get it out very often when I want to take photos of my balloons, but I can do that if necessary. So all these things that you use from past experiences, you suddenly discover that you're dragging them into what you're doing now. Not a surprise to me that you use professional photography equipment and uh, that you're aware of uh, the details of lighting and backdrops and stuff. So it doesn't come as a surprise for some reason. Vicky, Ward Hibbins, you're such a delight to talk with you. You care about so many details that are related to our art form and other art forms and You're just very professional about everything that you do. And I really respect that. And even, even though you're humble and modest, I know that what you produce is high quality. It's always been that way. And so I highly recommend people to go into the balloonartistpodcast.com website and check the page for this specific uh, episode and follow Vicky along and see some of her work in pictures and in your social media and on your site. Anything else you want to add before we wrap up? No, no, that's great. Thank you. So guys, thank you, Vicky Watt-Hibbins. And this is yet another episode in Season 7 where we explore some of the journeys of balloon artists in their first few years. Vicky, right now it's two years. I really can't wait to see what you come up with six months from now, a year from now, and so on. And... Thank you everyone for listening and see you next week in Balloon Artist Podcast. 
I hope you've enjoyed this episode with Vicky Ward Hibbins. Uh, it just blows my mind every time. The more I research this industry and this art form of balloon art, the more I find out how much I don't know and how fascinating it is to find a new tool and learn like how to work with new glue, new, new glue and new a sharpie or like a new technique with some, some material. And every time the, the possibilities are just endless. This is why I enjoy so much being a part of the club in Balloon Artist College where we have, you know, Scott Streep providing webinars with jam sessions and with talented people that are uh, providing value through our online courses. We have so much value and we even have challenges like an upcoming challenge about artwork and that is always available for you in balloonartistcollege.com slash club that's C-L-U-B C-L-U-B club in balloonartistcollege.com I hope you enjoyed this episode guys I am literally right now in twist and shout having fun learning more stuff finding out new instructors and uh, just meeting balloon family so I hope you're enjoying yourself if you are not in a convention right now and that makes you a little bit sad or something like that then please just go to balloonartistcollege.com there are free courses there we have an amazing service if you go to balloonartistcollege.com slash club you'll see what i'm talking about so see you inside balloon artist college or next week in balloon artist podcast Hello, Balloon Artist Podcast Nation. Zivi Kivi here, and this is Season 7, Chapter 12. Two more, uh, two more chapters after this one, and the season is off. Wow, the next season is going to be on a different topic. I'm so excited about that, but more about that soon. I wanted to share with you a tip. And the tip of today is related to when you're talking with a customer on the phone, try to let them talk more than you. Try to ask them open-ended questions. What type of questions are open-ended questions? Well, the type is open-ended. Um, for example, you can ask them, describe for me how do you see the event? What is your vision? You can ask them, what are your goals for the event? What is the most important for you? Uh, how did you celebrate last time? All of those Uh, questions have one thing in common. You can't answer very quickly with just a yes or a no or six. And what happens when someone answers you with a full answer is that they reveal more information. For example, they might reveal to you that the benefit that they are looking for is the balloons, the twisting balloons, and uh, I don't know what. Uh, and not necessarily the decor. Or, or they might uh, just look for something that is a performance style and then you know you can offer the different things or you might even they might even reveal that they really uh, their kids really love to play with the balloons and then you can pitch a balloon workshop for example so listen listen to your customers ask them open-ended questions i hope you have an amazing profitable day and week and see you next week in episode 13 of balloon artist podcasts.